presence is available, church. Here and now, he's in the midst. Yes, we worship. Lord, it's our prayer that you would fill this place, that we would come with you fully surrendered. We give you our hearts. Yes, we lay down our baggage before you. Your healing hands, God. There is a light that burns in the darkness. Yes, that's true. There is a hope that washes the fear away. There's freedom here. There is a peace that settles around us. For your peace, Jesus. It is your love that sets our hearts ablaze. Yes, we sing to the Father here and now. Yes, Father, we run our knees with every heartbeat. Suffering, Lord, come and fill this place. Father, we're crying out. Your spirit, we need you now. Glorious love surrounds us. Lord, come and fill this place. Yes, He hears your heart. This freedom and surrender. Lord, come. Yeah. There is a King who reigns.
worthy work. Yes, Father, in your word, it says we love because he first loved us. Father's our prayer. Won't you take us back? Won't you take us to our first love?
Yeah. 
Church, he is the living God. And he's here in this moment and he's here for you. He's here for us. The spirit of Jesus is in our midst. And it is in worship that our hearts and minds are renewed so that we become aware of the living God in whom we live and move and have our being. Right now, the Spirit of Jesus invites us to turn the eyes of our heart to the face of our Savior and to find, just like Peter did in his failure, the grace and mercy and love of Jesus given fresh and new to all who are willing, to any who want it. He's here for you, church. He's here for us. And through us, he's here for a broken, dark, dying, confused, fearful, lost world. Lord Jesus, we are your church and we celebrate being your church. And this morning we, we crown you king of our lives, king of our hearts, king of this moment and every moment, king of eternity. And we worship you as your people. We ask you, Lord, to teach us more and more that you have made us brothers and sisters, that you have made us yours. Teach us these things, God, more deeply than ever before, we pray. We thank you for your presence and we worship you. And we do it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, you know the Bible says that without worship, we can't think clearly that what worship does is resets my heart and my mind. Kind of like sometimes you got to reboot your phone or your computer because it just gets messed up. That's what worship does. I, I didn't grow up knowing how to worship. I had to learn how to worship when I became a believer. You can too if you haven't yet. 
Say, God, teach me how to worship. He will. It's great to see you. Welcome to first service this morning. Phase two, somebody say amen. <laughs> We're almost there. We're almost there. Would you take a moment and greet those around you? Make sure everybody feels welcome this morning. Would you do that? Good morning, everyone. Good morning, church. Good morning to everybody joining us online this morning. It is terrific to be with you. We look forward to when you can be with us again in person. And, and we look forward to phase two. And preachers and singers don't have to wear masks anymore. And soon God is going to bring this healing all the way around. And we're all going to be able to throw them away. Let's, you know... Some of, some of us are old enough to remember, it's not a great memory. Matter of fact, I'm not even going to go there. We'll just have a bonfire and we'll burn the masks. I was thinking of some things we burned a long time ago, but I don't want to go there. But, um, yeah. Because God has seen us through, because God has led us through, amen? Bring your brain back here again, would you do that, please? It is great to see you. Welcome to first service here at Mount Rainier Christian Center this morning, uh, and again to everybody uh, who's online. Just a, a, a few things, a few announcements uh, to share with you, and the first one is just really neat. We're going to throw up a slide here on the screen, and I want you to know that this morning we are privileged to welcome a whole bunch of folks into membership here at MRCC, even through COVID, even through all the challenges of the last year, our membership class went ahead in the fall. This group of people are entering into membership this morning. We are welcoming them into commitment to the church that they call home. And, and I know it's not uh, totally welcome uh, if your name is on the screen, but if you're in first service and your name is on the screen, would you just stand for a moment so that we can welcome you? P folks are going to be scattered through all the services, but yeah, 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 yeah. Folks who have come into membership... Amen. Yeah, I don't know if anybody else is in first service, but Taylor, welcome. And uh, huge uh, celebration. You know, middle of last year in the summer, everybody was wondering, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And, and, and the truth remains true. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then, then that's the ball game. And um, so we're thrilled to welcome uh, all of these folks into membership this morning. We're also really excited because even through all of this, our, our kids program is growing. Uh, I'm thrilled on behalf of Pastor Allison to let you know that 
uh, starting on February 3rd, February 2nd, February 3rd, are Impact Kids Ministries, which happen on Wednesday nights. Uh, we're from third to fifth grade, but now they're expanding to kindergarten all the way to fifth grade, uh, starting on February 3rd. So if you have a kindergartner through, uh, through second grader, uh, up through third, all the way through fifth, uh, all those uh, kids are now welcome to join us on Wednesday night. And we've partitioned up our rooms and, and made everything ready for that. We're excited about that. You know, I mentioned in the fall what a glorious thing God has been doing in our youth ministry with Pastor Josh and his team. That continues, 110 kids here on Wednesday nights, teenagers in addition to all the rest of the kids. God's doing a thing. And some of us look around and get all worried and afraid. Oh, the government's, the government can't stop the kingdom. Come on, stop worrying about that. The kingdom of God is going to go ahead. And when we walk in his spirit, his work will be done. You know, the church didn't die in communist China. It didn't die in Nazi Germany. It didn't die in the American Civil War. The church is the church. I love what the 16th century Bishop of Aragon, now my nerd is going to show for a moment here, all right? A uh, little history nerd. 16th century Bishop of Aragon, which is a part of Spain. The king came to him and said, Bishop, I want you to give me a divorce from my wife. The bishop said, I will not. You don't have grounds for a divorce. The king said, well, if you don't give me the divorce, I'm going to destroy the church in Aragon. The bishop smiled a little smile and said, may it please the king to remember that the church is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. <laughs> I get goosebumps when I read things like that. You know, it just makes my history nerd, my my Christian nerd get going. But anyway, so uh, Forged is what we're calling the Wednesday night kindergarten through second graders. So that kicks off on February 3rd. Oh, I'm sorry. A parents meeting on February 3rd. The classes kick off on February 10th. Wow, did I just nearly blow it there. Um, also, uh, a week from tomorrow is Sisters of Strength, our monthly ladies dinner. It's going to happen here in the sanctuary, 6.30 on, on that, uh, that evening. So we're looking forward to that. And then finally, one last thing before we open God's word together, and that is, you know, it's constantly on my mind, on my heart, how many things that our church accomplishes because we work together that so many of us will never know. Just this week, uh, through Pastor Dave and our benevolence ministry, two significant situations, a man wrestling with substance abuse, we were able to get him into a program to come along behind him and connect him uh, to a program, cover the costs that were associated with it so he can get free. Another family in serious financial need because of everything that's gone on. We're, and church, that happens every week. That stuff goes on all the time because we stand together, because we stay together, because we give together and cooperate together, pray together. So I just want to encourage you. Um, it's amazing. And... Uh, Someday, someday you're going to see it all. Uh, someday when we get to home, you're going to see it all. And it's, it's a glorious thing. So thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, grab your Bible, friends, this morning, if you would, and open it to a familiar place, to John's Gospel, chapter 3. Uh, John's Gospel, chapter 3. And, and we began a few weeks ago this series called CrossFit, in which we are hearing Jesus give us a promise and talking about how we receive that promise. The Lord said this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest 
for your souls. And in these six weeks together, we're exploring what that means. What does it mean to to take upon yourself the yoke of Jesus? Because notice, his promise is a yoke which brings rest for our souls. We've talked about what that means. The first week, it means listening to Jesus. It means humbling ourselves to, to slow down enough to listen to him day in and day out, to hear him, to let him teach us. And then the second week, we talked about how the yoke of Jesus means serving. It means recognizing that you and I are made to be servants, to serve one another. That's what happens inside the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what happens inside the body of Christ. That's what we're made for. And that we find rest for our souls when we take upon ourselves the yoke of serving. This morning, God wants us to recognize that the yoke of repentance brings rest for your soul. That it is the yoke of repentance and confession that brings rest to the soul. And that is what Jesus is inviting us to experience. So as we get going this morning, John chapter 3, I'm sure this is true of almost all of us. Have you ever been singing along with a popular song and then realized that you had the lyrics completely wrong? Have you ever done that before? I mean, we've all been there, right? It wasn't until in my 40s that I realized that the Beatles was B-E-A-T-L, the beat, the Beatles. In my 40s, I figured, maybe you're figuring it out right now. But yeah, um, we get song lyrics wrong. I, I came across a website that identifies when people Google for songs and they Google the lyrics wrong, okay? So in other words, if more than a thousand people Google the lyric wrong, it comes up on this website, keep track of it. And there's some hilarious stuff on there. Let me share a few of them with you. You know the Bon Jovi song, Living on a Prayer? The lyric goes, it doesn't really matter if we make it or not. At least a thousand people have Googled the song that says it doesn't really matter if we're naked or not. Because they thought that's what it was saying and they were trying to find that song. You get the idea. Jimi Hendrix's song, Purple Haze, he says, excuse me while I kiss the sky. A lot of people think it was excuse me while I kiss this guy. The monkeys, then I saw her face, now I'm a believer. Lots of people said, then I saw her face, now I'm going to leave her, which is, you know, not what the song says, right? Or there's Queen, we are the champions, kicking your can all over the place. Evidently, a lot of people think it means kicking your cat all over the place. Somebody said amen. Lil Nas X is a rapper, and he's got a popular song where he sings, Take My Horse to the Old Town Road. Somehow, people turned that into Take My Horse to the Hotel Room, which is just bizarre. Um, or the group, I like this one, the group Sublime had a hit in which they say, sit and talk all night and try to make it right. They're talking about relationship. Evidently, people think he's saying, since it's taco night, try to make it right, you know? <laughs> just hear somebody going for that in the shower, right? Or Eddie Money, I've got two tickets to paradise. Evidently, a lot of people think he's saying I've got two chickens to paralyze. You get the idea, right? You get the idea. Sometimes we get the lyrics wrong, right? Sometimes we just get it mixed up in our heads. And in the same way, some of Jesus' lyrics, so to speak, can get messed up in our heads as well. You know, for example, John 3.16, we sang about it in a worship song this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Sometimes we can get confused into thinking that 
you know, if once upon a time you said some magic words, then you're done with salvation and nothing that comes after that matters. But it isn't true. Ask Judas. Or ask Jesus, who taught in the parable of the sower about the seed that falls on the soil springs up quickly, but then quickly fades away because it has no root. Now, sometimes we get things confused in our heads. Now, when I say that, some of us get scared because we've, we've built up this false dichotomy in our hearts about faith and works. We think of them as being mutually exclusive when, in fact, they're inextricably linked. They're not exclusive, they're sequential. The one leads to the other. Faith leads us into living a different kind of life. A few weeks ago, we heard Jesus make that promise. This morning, he wants us to understand that to take his yoke upon us is to embrace a lifestyle of repentance and confession. That's what brings rest to the soul. We fear repentance. We shy away from confession because we think they're bad things. We think they're bad for us. We think they're downers and bummers and they bring a negativity into our souls. Jesus knows better. God knows better. Our Father knows that rest for our souls is found in repentance and in confession. So let's listen to Jesus and let's make sure we hear what he's saying and not get the lyrics mixed up in our heads. John chapter 3, verse 16, which everybody knows, but very few of us pay attention to the rest of that moment, verses 17 to 20. Let's, let's listen to what Jesus said. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Sometimes we start to think he did. But to save the world through him, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe, though, stands condemned because they've not believed in God's one and only Son. And this is the verdict. Listen to Jesus explain what he just said. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world he called himself the light of the world. He says, light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. They allow themselves to be exposed. It's a, a, a euphemism for repentance, for confession. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now let's break this down for a few minutes together, friends. Jesus slaughters some sacred cows in this passage. Now that's a, a proverbial reference that goes all the way back to Moses at Mount Sinai. Remember the Egyptian or the Israelites under the leadership of Aaron had made a false cow calf idol to worship Moses comes down and destroys it and the phrase sacred cow refers to religious ideas that aren't true that are lies and Jesus does away with some of those in this passage and and the first one we're familiar with verses 16 and 17 the first one reminds us that that God isn't looking for excuses to condemn people but to save them you know in our day 
there's a, there's a, a spirit among many who call themselves believers that suggests that what God wants to do is condemn the world. Jesus said he doesn't. Jesus said it's his last resort. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, he's not willing that any should perish. He doesn't look at our world and say, look at all those bad guys, I'm ready to squish them. He doesn't look at our world and say, we need to break out the guns so we can bring in righteousness. No, he wants to save them all. Every human being you've ever seen, heard, or thought about, it is God's desire to save. And until you own that in your heart, you're not listening to Jesus. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. There's, there's lots of reasons to hate the world, but God doesn't. He loves it. And he seeks to save it. I remember when I worked in the emergency room all those years ago, you know, there came a point after about a year in the ER when I was getting so tired of drunk drivers and high people doing stupid things and hurting themselves and others that I began to feel in my heart, you know, kind of a resentment when someone would come into the ER after doing something incredibly stupid and hurting themselves and somebody else. And, you know, there was this ten tendency to develop kind of a hardness. Why are you such an idiot? And I remember a nurse that I worked with must have detected that in my spirit because she pulled me aside one day and she said something I've never forgotten. She said, Greg, remember, we get the privilege of healing people. And it's a sacred thing. We get the privilege of healing people, no matter what they've done. I, looking back, I, su I, I suspect that she was a believer. She was speaking from God into that moment in my life. But she said, we get, the, we get the privilege of healing people, and that's a sacred thing. She was absolutely right. God is like that to our world. And if you and I want to be like him, then we're going to remember that. So let's throw aside the idea that God's just chomping at the bit and looking for excuses to condemn people. The opposite is true. The second dead cow, the second sacred cow that dies in this moment is when Jesus reminds us, and this is a sober moment, my friends, please hear me. When Jesus reminds us that, that most people, most by far, are not headed safely to an eternal heaven that everybody goes to. In fact, most people are headed for permanent separation from God in a place called hell. Listen to what Jesus says. Whoever believes in him, speaking of himself, is not condemned, but whoever doesn't believe stands condemned because they've not believed in the name of God's one only Son. In other words, most people aren't safely headed to heaven. They're in real danger of hell. You know, sometimes in our, our selfishness and our self-absorbed tendencies, we just ignore that. We just stop paying attention to it. We don't think of people as heading to hell, but Jesus says that most are. Or to put it another way, the reason he comes to save the world is because the world is in such great danger. Listen to how the Lord said it over in Matthew chapter 7. He said, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Friends, let's, let's not let ourselves forget that nobody talked more about hell than Jesus did. 
It is an absolute reality. And it is a reality that the Lord says most people are headed for. When we recognize this, we cease to be indifferent to sin. In ourselves, as we take upon ourselves the yoke of repentance and confession, but also on behalf of others as we recognize that their sin is going to separate them from God forever. And once I recognize that, then I, I see my fellow human being differently. I see people differently. I begin to care about them. I begin to be concerned for them. Can you imagine what it would be like if there were no driving laws? We would lose the freedoms that we enjoy. We gain freedom from recognizing the laws. And it is that recognition that Jesus is talking about. Sin is real. And it's dangerous. You know, when our son was a teenager and learning how to drive, one of the things I was most grateful for is that little film that they show high schoolers in driver's ed class about the awful wrecks. You may, I don't know if you know about this or if you see it. It's about five. It's not long. But in the film, they just show a whole bunch of scenes of horrific car accidents that took the lives of teenagers. And, and I remember when Isaiah came home from driver's ed having watched that scene and his eyes were this big. And he's like, whoa. And I'm like, yay, now he realizes that when he gets behind the wheel of a car, it's not a game, right? This is a real thing. I want him to have that awareness in the same way God wants us to have the awareness of sin and the reality of the danger of it. And so Jesus says to us, hey, sin is serious. Hell is not a myth. It is a reality. He slaughters the sacred cow that says, oh, you know, everybody just goes to a happy place at the end of this life. Not true. And then the third sacred cow that he does away with is the idea that faith, Christian faith, faith that connects us to God, can be something less than personal. But it can't. It is the specific and personal acceptance or rejection of Jesus that matters, not doing religious paperwork. Listen to what the Lord says. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, won't come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. In other words, most people prefer to live in the dark, never getting personal with God and allowing the truth about themselves to be recognized. And Jesus says that's incredibly dangerous. He says whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. <laughs> that is, we step forward and say, God, examine me. Tell me where I'm right, where I'm wrong. Show me where I'm living dangerously in terms of eternity and show me where I'm living wisely. Repentance friends, is a yoke that helps you get personal with God so you can experience him getting personal with you. And that's a big deal. When Jesus offers rest for our souls, one of the things he offers me is the habit of repentance and confession. You know, this year, because of COVID and everything, we, we, we didn't get to do our kids' Christmas program. And I missed it. <laughs> I know a lot of us did. We've had some awesome, huge Christmas kids programs here at MRCC over the years. Beautiful moments. Maybe the most beautiful when one of the kids in the fourth row of the choir at Christmas program one year just vomited all over the place and nobody even knew it and we went on and it was awesome and then we found out about it afterwards. 
I missed it this year. And, 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 you know, we didn't get to do anything like that. We got to do our Christmas lights, which is great. Rhonda and I kind of have a tradition at Christmas of, of doing some other amazing things. We've, we've gone to the Seattle Ballet and watched the Nutcracker at Christmas, you know. And we, we've driven up to Vancouver to see the Trans-Siberian Orchestra at Christmas. And I remember a lot of years ago when we did Christmas when I was stationed in Iceland and the British Royal Marines came up and the U.S. Marines and we had a, quite a night of uh, celebration of Christmas. But none of those compares to a little tiny Christmas program with about 20 kids that happened in 1999 in Moscow, Idaho when Isaiah was about five years old, our son. And I can still see him standing up there on the riser with his brown corduroys that were like two sizes too big and a green sweater vest, because what five-year-old doesn't look good in a sweater vest, right? And his dress shoes that he didn't want to wear and standing up there and kind of barely mouthing the words because he was so self-conscious. Now, why is that Christmas program more precious in my heart than so many others? Because it's personal because it's personal, because it's personal. And Jesus wants us to understand that repentance is what changes your relationship with, from God to, from impersonal to personal. When you go to him with your confession and repentance, that's what changes your walk with him. Personal repentance brings us into God's rest and freedom because it allows us to experience him personally. Take this in. Now remember, the word repent means to change your mind. Sometimes we get confused and we think that repentance is what you do after you change your mind. Biblically, that's not true. The Greek word is metanoia. It's a compound meaning literally to change your mind. It is the changing of your mind that leads to the changing of your behavior. And it is the changing of your mind that God delights in because he knows it'll lead to the change of your behavior. So repentance means saying, you know what, God, you're right, I'm wrong about this. You're right, I'm wrong about my sexuality. You're right, I'm wrong about my tongue. You're right, I'm wrong about my temper. You're right, I'm wrong about my work ethic, or, or whatever it is. Repentance is when we change our minds and agree with God. And the opposite of it, sin leads to slavery. Here's what Jesus said. He said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. In other words, that's its nature. It will increasingly bind you up in your heart and mind. It will increasingly wear you out in your soul. But Jesus says, if I set you free, you'll be free indeed. If you come to me in repentance and confession, you will experience me personally. And that is where the rest is found. You see, church, we've got to understand that, that God brings his laws into our life not to restrain us, but to set us free. His commandments set us free. You know, I, I read an article in May uh, uh, about a woman in May of 2005. She was 32 years old. Her name was Tamar Fellner. And when she, uh, the reason that the, she was in the article is that she was thrown from the giant Hollywood roller coaster in Santa Claus, Indiana. That's actually a real town, Santa Claus, Indiana. And, and she was killed because she was thrown from the roller coaster. And, and after it happened, her family did, you know, what people do. They sued the amusement park claiming negligence. But what the investigation revealed was that Tamar, explicitly against what she had been told, stood up in the middle of the ride, unbuckled her seatbelt so that she could wave her hands and take a selfie. And so she was thrown from the roller coaster and lost her life. Now, was the commandment there to restrain her freedom? 
or to keep her safe and bring freedom. In the same way, friends, we must understand that when God says, thou shalt not, it's to bless you. It's to bless me. It's to set us free. God is a father saying, shut up and sit down, Greg, and put your seatbelt on when it comes to a whole lot of stuff in my life. And when he says that, he's not trying to take away my freedom. He's trying to give me freedom. And it's in recognizing that and saying, you know what, God, I should have sat down. I should do it your way, that we experience his fathering. This is why the Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. You see, repentance and confession is what allows you to experience rest for your soul. Listen, church, make no mistake. Jesus wants you to turn away from rage. Man's anger can't bring about the righteous life God desires. He wants you to turn away from drunkenness. It's not okay sometimes on your birthday and when you go with your girlfriends to Vegas. It's not okay. He wants us to turn away from lying, from slander. If you say things about people that you don't know for sure, that's a sin that sends people to hell. A lot of that happens on social media. He wants us to turn away from dissensions and factions, envy and wickedness, lust and lying, greed and foul language. You know, a lot of people just don't believe God when he says that if any man considers himself religious but doesn't keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Half a dozen times I've had somebody come up, Pastor, God doesn't really care about my swearing. Wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. He does. Your tongue is the rudder of your life, James tells us, chapter 3. So listen, church, understand the cross doesn't mean sin doesn't matter. It means Jesus can set you free from it. He can teach you to be different. You know, when I got saved, gang, I came from a, a, an unchurched home. I had spent a couple, three years in the military as a single guy. I had a potty mouth, and it wasn't tame. There's a word in the English language that can be a noun, a verb, an adjective. It can fit every situation, and I used it liberally. <laughs> and then I became a Christian. And God said, guess what, Greg? I want to change that. I'm going to teach you to be different. And he did. He did. Uh, gang, understand this. Jesus sets us free from sin. Sometimes we say to ourselves, we hear John 3, 16, say, oh, my sin doesn't matter. <sighs> Wrong. It matters so much that it costs the Lord his life. And he loves you so much that he willingly gave it. And now he wants to lead you out of it because otherwise you're going to fly off the roller coaster and end up dead. <laughs> That's the reality. Listen to what the scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 4. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. The yoke that Jesus offers is one in which we are becoming more and more holy, sanctified, righteous, more and more like Jesus. In that, we find rest for our souls. Church, repentance brings rest because it makes your relationship with God personal. When you go to him and say, I was wrong, Lord, I, can, I should not have treated my wife that way. I should not have deceived my friend that way. I should not have given in 
to that fantasy in my head. When you take that stuff to God personally, you experience rest for your soul because then he becomes personal to you. He says, yeah, that was wrong. Let me teach you how to get out of that. Let me teach you how to grow beyond that. I sat with someone this week who um, wrestling deeply with their sexuality. And I taught them a passage from 1 Thessalonians 4 that says it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, and that you shouldn't abuse your brother in that way. And I said, hey, understand something. Consensual isn't consensual in God's eyes. You're abusing his daughter. You're abusing his son. He sees that as abuse. You say, well, we both agreed to it. He didn't. God And my friend's was, world was being changed. Really? Oh, wow, I had never thought of it that way. Yeah, let God teach you. Now repent and confess. Recognize that you were abusing God's daughter, God's son. Recognize that, and he'll change you. That's how it happens. When I became a believer, I began to relate to God as my father, and nothing less is acceptable to him. It's personal. Nothing else can substitute. So the Bible says, and we're almost done this morning, he says, therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. If you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. It's dangerous. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You receive the Spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. In other words, we get personal with God. Personal with him. We experience his leadership and fathering through the yoke of repentance. You know, I've shared the story before when Isaiah was in middle school or so. I can't remember exactly when, our son, but he, somewhere in there. He had a really bad day, treated his mom very poorly, was deeply disrespectful to her. And, you know, we all go through those struggles. In that particular moment, I knew it was my responsibility to call him on the carpet for that. So I said, son, step outside on the porch with me. That's completely out of line. We went out on the porch and I said, you need to apologize and repent to your mom. He said, I don't want to. I'm not going to. It was a December day in Enumclaw. There was a little snow on the ground. He was in his gym shorts, no shirt, and no shoes. And I said, well, son, we're going to sit here on the porch until you're ready to repent and confess to your mom. Now, I learned that my son was much tougher than I thought because we sat there a long time, <laughs> several hours <laughs> But then, eventually, he went in the house and he repented and confessed to his mom with tears. And there were deep hugs and intimacy and closeness that can't happen any other way. And so God says, Greg, I want you to pull that yoke of repentance over your shoulders, over your heart, so that you can experience that intimacy with me. That's what he's about what Jesus said here in John chapter 3 isn't an administrative formula that you chalk up like a, a record of your employment. No, 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 no. It is a change of direction that is personal. It is an acceptance of God's fathering. And that's where we find rest for our souls. So God tells us that we will find rest for our souls in submitting to his leadership by repenting from sin. C.S. Lewis captured this beautifully when he wrote that while it's hard for an egg to turn into a bird, it's a whole lot harder to learn to fly while remaining an egg. We are like eggs. You can't go on indefinitely being just an ordinary decent egg. You must either hatch or go bad. And it's repentance that brings that to pass. It's confession that brings that to pass. So the Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Why? Because you're blinded to him. 
because you're blinded to him. I am forever thankful to my dad for things he taught me when I was a boy, and the older I get, the more I see it. I was thinking this week about one time when we were cutting firewood on a rainy day, and I hated it, and I was miserable, didn't want to be there. I was moaning and complaining, and finally he'd had enough, and he stopped, and he said, no son of mine is going to complain about working. Close your mouth and do what you're told. And I remember that as that day went on, I learned the value of closing my mouth and doing what I was told. And a million times since then, I've been incredibly thankful that I learned how to shut my mouth and do what I was told to do. In the end, I'm spending the rest of my life thanking him for that moment that seemed so unwelcome when it occurred. Repentance and confession is like that. The truth is, Dad knew more what I was capable of than I did. And life is full of moments when a good father seeks to give you and me what we don't think we want. Because he knows we'll end up thanking him for it forever. Yeah, I... I had a staycation between Christmas and New Year's this year. and You know, it's nice to do nothing sometimes, but over the course of the week, Rhonda decided to get some household projects done, paint a bathroom and fix a ceiling fan and fiddle with some light fixtures, replace some closet doors. She kept finding one thing after another to do, and it was driving me nuts, okay? I was thinking to myself, no, I said it's a staycation. I'm not doing anything this week. I, I want to sit here. I don't want to do it, and... I let her know about it, and she didn't force it. But as I was sitting there clutching what I thought I wanted, the Holy Spirit was saying, you know, why don't you just go help her? You'll feel better. (laughs) I don't want to. But then I did. Didn't take nearly as long as I thought. (laughs) Wasn't hard. And when it was done, I enjoyed the rest of the week that much more. In the same way, God comes and says, bring me your repentance and confession. You'll feel better if you do. I'll give you rest for your soul. I'm fathering you. That's what this is all about. Church, the yoke of Jesus brings rest for your soul because your repentance makes your relationship with a Father God personal. Let me ask you as we close this morning, when was the last time you genuinely repented and confessed your sin to God. When was the last time? That's where rest for the soul is found. Can I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes? God, we thank you for your word this morning. Jesus, we hear you inviting us to take on our shoulders the yoke of repentance. And Lord, some of us need to do that right here and right now. If that's you, go to him. Let your relationship with him be personal. Go to him the way a good son, a good daughter goes to a good father and humbles themselves. Maybe you need to confess the way you've used your tongue. Maybe you need to confess again your lust, your anger. Maybe you need to confess your greed, your selfishness, your unforgiveness. Rest for your soul is yours for the having. (laughs) If you get personal with God about it. He invites you to do that right now. If you're here and you have never known God as your father, then that's what Jesus wants to give you, adoption into God's family. He wants to make you 
God's son, God's daughter in this moment. And that happens when you go to Jesus personally. You can do that right now. He's here for you. God doesn't come to condemn you. He wants to save you. The saving happens when you get personal with him. You can do that right now. Say, God, I receive Jesus as my Savior. Jesus, I come to you personally, confessing my sins. In that moment, you are born again. Your spirit is renewed. You become a daughter, a son of God. And he wants that for you. God, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you send us out into the world knowing that that's where those around us will find rest for their souls. And sharing the good news of your invitation to belong to you with them. God, let nothing preoccupy us more than the sharing of your gospel. We pray for that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, friends? Mm -hmm. Trying to get used to this shorter pulpit. I feel like you can see my belly button, even though I know you can't. But in all seriousness, this repentance confession thing, this is where we find rest for our souls. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon, church.